From the JAMA Network, this is the JAMA Medical News Podcast. Discussing timely topics in clinical medicine, biomedical sciences, public health, and health policy featured in the medical news section of JAMA. This is Jennifer Abbasi for JAMA Medical News. Around two decades ago, researchers asked tens of thousands of participants in the Women's Health Initiative study how often they drank artificially sweetened beverages over the past three months. Recently, the researchers looked at how the diet sodas and diet fruit drinks the women consumed back then correlated with their risks of stroke, coronary heart disease, and death in the intervening years. The results were recently published in the journal Stroke. They showed that higher intakes of artificially sweetened beverages were associated with increased health risks. Dr. Yasmin Mosavar-Ramani led the study. She's a dietitian and associate professor of clinical epidemiology and population health at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx. I recently spoke with her about the study, which got quite a lot of media attention. She said she hopes the public doesn't walk away with the wrong message. Your study isn't the first to look at associations with artificially sweetened beverages and cardiovascular disease. So what did the previous study show? The results have been mixed in different studies, but there seemed to be a certain pattern of association with cardiovascular disease. There was another study from the Women's Health Initiative in 2014 that looked at the same issue of cardiovascular disease, except they didn't separate out stroke the way we have in our study. So they looked at composite events. So that's heart failure, myocardial infarction, coronary revascularization procedure, ischemic stroke, peripheral artery disease, and cardiovascular death. So they looked at the whole thing and they saw a risk with a high consumption of diet drinks and these cardiovascular risk factors. So then in 2017, there was the Framingham Heart Study offspring cohort in men and women. These were 2,888, and they saw a risk, again, specifically for stroke and Alzheimer's disease. And this was almost threefold for stroke and Alzheimer's disease. So that's what really got me excited about doing the study. We thought we might just look again in the Women's Health Initiative and see if we're seeing separate associations with stroke. So what's different about your study? What's different is that we followed, first of all, 81,714 women over an average of 11.9 years. The previous study in the Women's Health Initiative followed the women for about eight years. So we have a longer follow-up time. We also looked separately at stroke and ischemic stroke and its subtypes, which was recently available to us, which the previous study didn't look at. So tell us what you learned. What were your main findings? What we found was that 5.1% drank two or more artificially sweetened beverage drinks daily, but most were infrequent drinkers, so that's about 64.1%, had never or less than once a week of these artificially sweetened beverages. So when we looked at this group of high versus low consumers of diet drinks, we found that women who had the higher level of consumption were 23% more likely to have a stroke, so that's fatal and non-fatal stroke. 31% more likely to have the type of stroke from a clot in the brain or ischemic stroke, and 29% more likely to develop heart disease, this is fatal and non-fatal, and 16% more likely to die from any cause. And the stroke risks were higher for certain women, correct? That's right. 
So uh, we looked at women without previous heart disease or diabetes. And in that group, we saw some interesting findings. First of all, in this group, they were 2.44 times more likely to have a common type of stroke that's caused by the blockage of the very small arteries, the small artery occlusion, than women with no or low levels of consumption. These are small vessel strokes that if you just have one, is not a big deal, but if you have many of them over time, there's an association with dementia. And if you looked at all women, that risk was 1.81 times. Obese women without previous heart disease or diabetes were about twice as likely to have a clot-caused stroke or the ischemic stroke. More interestingly, African-American women without previous history of heart disease or diabetes were 3.93 times or about four times as likely to have a clot-caused stroke. Again, this is comparing the high versus low or no diet during consumers. These associations don't imply causation. We're just seeing an association. And while the risk of stroke is higher in high consumers relative to the low or no consumers, the actual absolute risk is small. So we're talking here about relative risk. So the incidence rate is about 2 per 1,000 people per year. So because this is an observational study, as you said, uh, we can't know if artificial sweeteners cause the strokes and heart attacks or if they're just correlated. And in fact, in your study, the women who drank the most artificially sweetened beverages on average were heavier, exercised less, consumed more calories, had lower quality diets, and were more likely to smoke and have a history of diabetes, heart attack, or stroke. Correct? That's, that's correct, yes. Okay. So to what extent were you able to control for these factors? So we controlled for these associations. However, you know, there could be residual confounding. The diet quality variable, for example, may not capture all the quality of the diet. The physical activity variable may not capture everything about someone's physical activity. And it's based on self-report. Women may not have reported all the smoking. So we're sort of limited by self-report. We're limited by the fact that we asked the question at the time that we asked, which was in 1996 to 2001, and the diet drinks at that time were limited compared to what's available now. And it's also the answer is dependent on what the women perceive the diet drinks to be. So there are all these limitations. And also we asked the question, it was kind of a one-shot question, and we didn't continue to ask that question. So these are the limitations. The only way we can sort of figure out if it's the diet drink or something else that's causing this is we would need to do a randomized clinical trial and put some women on a high level of sweeteners and a group who have no artificially sweetened beverages. This, again, is an observational study, and there are other risks that we didn't look at, things like whether genetic or other factors that were different between the two groups. Okay. What about reverse causality? So isn't it possible that women with obesity who already have a heightened stroke risk may be more likely to drink a lot of diet soda to try to control their weight? That's one possibility. So what we did was we tried to control for obesity and BMI in the models. Again, there is a possibility for residual confounding because we didn't, for example, know the pre-diabetic status of the women. So if somebody was pre-diabetic and was trying to have the artificially sweetened beverages, we would not have been able to capture that. That data was just not available. As you said, you had to rely on the participant's self-reports of beverage consumption, diet quality, and physical activity, which may not be precise. And the women only reported their artificially sweetened beverage intake over one three-month period, so you don't know what they were drinking before or after. 
So how can these limitations be addressed in the future with other studies? So again, as I mentioned, the only way to address these kinds of limitations is to do more studies to do a randomized clinical trial, where the only difference between the two groups is the artificial sweetened beverage consumption, and then to follow the women over time to assess their artificial sweetened beverage consumption periodically, maybe annually, just more frequently, and also their weight to see whether the weight changes and have very precise measurements to be able to fully assess this. Say the artificial sweeteners were causative. What are some of the mechanisms that could explain that? There are different hypotheses, and there's some evidence that they may be changing the gut microbiome, that they may affect the way glucose is being used, or I've also read theories about how it might affect how the brain processes or understands the taste sensation for sugar. So they're all these different mechanisms. I think we just need more evidence to see where they go to. What does your gut tell you, so to speak? <laughs> Do you think it's correlation or causation or both? Um, my job is just to report what I found, which was correlation. You know, my gut is that we just need more research. And again, this was done at a time where there was just limited amount of artificial sweet beverage drinks. Right, so there's more on the market now? Yeah, there's drinks made with stevia, natural sweeteners. There are drinks made with all kinds of sweeteners. There are natural sweeteners, there's synthetic sweeteners, and nutritive sweeteners like polyols and sugar alcohols. So these are new items in the market that need to be tested both in the microbiome and other parts of our physiology. Are you at all concerned that based on studies like these, people might switch from drinking artificially sweetened beverages, which the jury is still out on, to drinking sugary beverages, which we know are unhealthy? I think the message really is that maybe the artificial sweetened beverages could kind of be an interim step and wean everyone off the excessive amounts. I'm just hoping that women don't go back to having uh, sugary beverage uh, consumption. I think the message is that this is a time to pause and look into all these associations and maybe reconsider if we're having you know, excessive amounts of these drinks. What Dr. Mosavar Ramani is suggesting is that diet drinks ideally should be used as a quit tool, a way to break our collective sugary drink habit and switch over to good old-fashioned water as our primary beverage of choice. That's it for this episode of JAMA Medical News. To listen to more podcasts and subscribe, go to jamanetworkaudio.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was audio produced by Michelle Krasitsky. I'm Jennifer Abbasi, Senior Staff Writer for JAMA Medical News. Thanks for listening.